0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Ladies and gentlemen,
0: congratulations. You're about to arrive to the right place. 5,
2: 4, 3, 2, one. Welcome to the Adam and Aaron's 4 Are you ready for it? Now, here is Ellen and
1: Aaron. An Aaron. Ellen. And Aaron.
0: And good evening, everybody. It's uh, February 4th, 2022, another night for the Alan and Aaron Sports Talk podcast. We are uh, delighted to have you with us here tonight. Hopefully you're listening live or at least listening to us uh, on wherever you get your podcasts from. And, of course, the show is not complete unless both Alan and Aaron are here. I'm here, so roll call. And, uh, Alan, you're here, too. Uh, good evening. How are you?
2: I'm doing great. Thank you for asking, Aaron. Really glad to be here. Really glad to have another episode to entertain our special guests and people listening. So everything's going well.
0: Good. Glad to hear that for sure. And it looks like uh, right out of the gate, uh, we have our uh, good friend uh, Lou on the line. So Lou, we'll go ahead and uh, bring him on here this evening. Yo. (laughs) Lou, how are you tonight?
1: (laughs) All right. Despite the fact that it's an article over here, uh, I'm Okay. It, it, what's the temperature it? Well, it? Well, we got an ice storm, so, uh, well, oh, what wow. well, was left of it? So, it's like a little bit of uh, Antarctica here. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, well, I'll put it this way. I only had half my predictions correct last week. It looked like, you know, oh. early in the beginning that, you know, the Bengals were, uh, were on the ropes and the Chiefs were going to go to the Super Bowl. I mean, they had an 18-point lead and everything was running smoothly as possible, as I expected. And then... Mahomes just crashed and burned. What happened?
2: Yeah, it, it really was shocking that he. It looked like it was going to be a blowout, and then all of a sudden he just got ice cold, yeah. and and it, you know. But um, I had you know I called the predictions. I had the, the Bengals versus the Rams, which I actually got both teams right. Mahomes, the reason why I felt as if. Angles we're going to win is really the defensive end of the ball. I feel as if Kansas City defense is really I poor I mean the offense I, is great, but they can't stop anybody
1: mm, but yeah that, yeah, and burrow has stepped up. I mean, you know if it wasn't for last year's injury, they, they might have done better. I mean, it's kind of hard that they go from worst to first. I mean last year you' were four eleven to one and all of a sudden you uh win your the, the AFC North, then now you're in the Super Bowl. I mean it's very rare for this to happen.
2: Yeah, I mean how quick has the Kansas City fell kinda of off a little bit. I mean yeah. it's just amazing. What are your thoughts, Aaron, on how it's trans how it fell apart for the Kansas City Chiefs? You there? I guess he lost Aaron, but, uh, yeah, Right. I mean, yeah, I just, I was just really surprised how poorly yeah. things fell apart for the Chiefs. I, I really thought they were going to go away with it. What do you think was the turning point? Sure.
1: They were going in for a score at the end of the, at the end of the half, and they didn't get it. And I think maybe that might, that might have cost them. Cause, uh, since they was getting the ball back to start the second half, and that, I think, was the momentum. I could be wrong, but that's the way I look at it.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's really surprising, because I was thinking that the Bengals were going to get blown out, and oof, I felt that this, all along the Bengals were the better team, just because of the defensive end. I think I think their offense is about the same. Mm-hmm. If anything, I think Kansas City is a little bit better, but uh, – it really fell apart for them the second half.
1: Yeah. A tale of two different games.
2: Well, two half, definitely.
1: All right. Well, here's another thing. Don't get me started that each team needs to have the ball in sudden, uh, in the, uh, in overtime. and like, you know, even if the first stage, was a touchdown, because you know, that's not always the case. I mean, that was the perfect example, right. Um, Right there last week, and hey, you the the first uh, team to have a fumble, they get intercepted, they might be able to score on the first possession. So enough of this uh, crap. All just leave it the way it is. In fact, go back to pure sudden death.
2: No, first I agree with full
1: you. for five, six hours. Come on.
2: Yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I don't agree with that Thank criticism you. that the team that wins the the coin flip automatically wins the game. That is not Paul. true. You just, I mean, the week prior to that, we saw two teams that have really poor defense, the Chiefs and the Bills, and yes, in that game, the first team who got the flip was going to score a touchdown just because the defense was poor. But as you've seen in the Bengals game, right. they got the ball back. They, yeah. they they accepted the ball, and they ended up winning the game on a field goal. So I, right. I agree with you 110% Lou that just because you win the coin flip doesn't automatically Mean that you're going to be kicking? I do agree. Are you aware?
1: Are you aware? Of company with me? That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think the NFL did
2: themselves a favor though, by changing yes. that rule from the kick. I do believe that back then it was a valid criticism. Now I don't.
1: Yeah, I mean, you remember? I mean, and don't, and don't, and and forget that college rule. Ugh. Which after the yeah. second overtime goes into its ridiculous, you know, way of solving. Oh, just uh, do two point conversions from the five yard line. What? Yeah, I agree
2: with you. I, I totally agree with you. I don't know. I don't like that rule. And I think the point of overtime. Is Soccer, okay. You, you Hockey, to, yes. Football, no. Yeah, and and the point of overtime is okay. You're getting some extra time. But it's not a situation where you have to have a set time now because it's an overtime where it's the point of the overtime is not to prolong the game. So it goes on forever. You, you have to no. at some point, somebody's going to win the game or it's going to have to go into a tie. You can't play all night.
1: No. Todd, the baseball. Yeah. Exactly. It's not baseball. Face- hey guys, I'm face. back. Oh, Hey, okay. I'm yeah. Back. Well, what, what baseball The baseball. I don't, I don't know what, what happened there with the, the microphone, on, but what? you know, I yeah. do like I do like that rule where you put the runs on second base. This or that could make the game quicker instead of having to drag out. Let's see, what were the uh, 34th inning with the no score here, and it's going to be a square after that. So you know, they, I think they did a smart thing by putting in that uh, extra inning rule the last two seasons. I say keep it.
2: Yeah, I know. I know. Aaron has a different opinion about you know winning the coin toss and going to overtime. What are your thoughts on overtime, Aaron, for football?
0: Well, I, I mean, I think we kind of went through this last week uh, where, you know, I, I, to me both teams should be able to touch the ball, but what, what should happen is they should adopt something similar to, you know, what college football has, has done. Wow no. um, Well, no. <laughs> it, the thing about college football is look at what they have done. Uh, you've seen in the past like nine overtimes in a game. So where I think they have improved, and we saw it in, I think, one of, the, one of the bowl games this year. It might have even been one of the two playoff games where if you are tied after the, the second overtime, they basically just have a one-play, try to get into the end zone happen uh, right there at, I think, the five-yard line. And if you it's kind of like a shootout in, in, in hockey, you know. So I think there are some things they can do to, to make it more fair, You know, they they changed something, they did change here, I don't know, three, four years ago was the length of a extra point. They they moved it back, I Mm -hmm. think it's 10 yards uh, further back than it used to be. And the reason for that, if you look at how extra points prior to whatever year that was, the percentage of extra points made was like 99.3%. So when you make it a little bit more challenging, that changes the dynamic of you know, hey, they might miss a couple extra points. They might hit one off the upright, yeah. and that might be the difference in the game. And special teams is a big part of football. So
1: I actually have, have the two teams duke it out. Yeah, I mean,
2: <laughs> I, I kind of like it the way it is now, where you have to you have to score a touchdown. Before the way it was, where you get the coin flip, you kick the field goal, the other team doesn't even get a chance. I agree with I didn't agree with that one. But this one here I believe it's true because you you have to get a you have to get a touchdown and you can you can make a defensive stop. I mean, the point of overtime to me is to find a winner of the of the game, but also there's a sense of urgency like okay, guys, we got to end this game. Either somebody's going to step up and win or we're going to go in a tie and that's it. We can't have games go on
1: like forever. No. Talk the baseball though.
2: I know. I know. With baseball, that's a whole other story. You know, like inning 17 and stuff like that. But, <laughs> yeah. I don't I know mean, how to come here but, to stay
1: awake for all that. I mean, you saw
2: how the Bengals, the Bengals, a uh, definition of it, the Bengals did not win the coin flip. They no. did not win, and they won the game.
1: See, that's my point. Winning the coin flip does yeah. not guarantee you're going to win the game. Case closed.
2: No, I agree with you on this one, Lou. It doesn't guarantee you're gonna win yeah. the game. And yes, it, it happened with the Chiefs and the Bills, but those are two really—they have great offenses, both of them. But yes. their defense is just poor, beyond poor. Yeah,
1: that's basically what it is. It's you know, whoever's defense uh, tanks out first—that's really what it goes down to.
2: Exactly. So I think it's Bengals right. To get I did get that pick right. I said it was going to be a very, very close game, and that the Bengals were going to make a play to win the game, and that's exactly how it worked out.
1: What about yeah. the the
2: Rams? What are your thoughts on the Rams,
1: Lou? You know what? I'm happy for Stafford. You know he's been you know great player, but you know he's playing on such a crappy team for so long, and he's finally you know getting respect and whatnot. And you know I'm good for him, and the Rams did it. You know, and this is the L.A. Rams, not the St. Louis Rams or whatever you want to call it. This is the L.A. Rams. They want this championship for the city of L.A. They were hungry for it, and they got it. It wasn't easy, but they got it.
2: Yeah, I, I, I felt as if the Rams were the better team over the 49ers. 49ers have a very, very good team, but I feel overall the Rams were better, especially on the defense. And it did not surprise me that the Rams won this game. I really wanted the 49ers to win. I really did. But I remember when I said on, on our show that I feel that the Rams are going to end up winning the game. I didn't want them to tie the Bucks with playing a, a Super Bowl in their home stadium, which they are going to. You know, they, regardless of whether they win or not, they're going to at least be in the same rule of winning, playing a Super Bowl at their home stadium just like the Bucks did last year. So yeah. I wanted the Bucs to have that record by itself. It wasn't meant to be, but I just think um, the Rams were the better team and yeah. they did what they had to do. So I, I, I don't and, have any and, knock on them. What are your thoughts on it, Aaron? You saw a
1: Well,
0: in, in my opinion, here, here's the nice thing. We don't have to worry about that happening three years in a row where a team gets home field advantage because yeah. the Super Bowl is in uh, Dallas, I think,
1: next year as they're playing it. So the Cowboys are definitely not getting
0: there. So, so you don't have anything to worry about on
1: that I don't believe that home field advantage stuff, no, I don't believe in that. I really yeah. don't I mean,
2: home,
1: I mean if that was the case there is oh they're going they're gonna because of home advantage. then the home team would never lose a game, ever. But that's not always the case now with it. So that home field advantage, stuff that's just that is just a plain superstition.
2: Yeah,
1: so, well, that should be nice. I mean, what on making it I'll make one more comment before I go. Uh, don't expect the uh, Major oh, League season to start on time. I mean, they even the Players Union wow. uh, said, uh, no, forget the mediator. We're not going there. So it's back to the drawing board. And uh, I don't, spring training looks to be delayed, and I don't think MLB is going to start on time March 31st. I hate to say, I told you so, but I told you so.
2: That's a great point, Lou. What are your thoughts on that, Aaron? You still there, Aaron? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, the fact that they go into the arbitrator, I think at least they won't report the spring training on time. I'm still now, hopeful that the, the games will start on time. But I don't think they're going to report on time. I'll put it like that. I think it's, no. it's. I think at least for the minor league teams, the minor league games. I'm sorry, not the minor league games. The spring training games, I should say, are not going to start on time. I still think there's still hope they can come up with a deal before missing any games. But it's just sad that you have a yeah. you know, league, major league baseball guys make an excess of three hundred million dollars to play baseball and you still can't come up with agreement that both sides are happy.
1: And and to
0: piggyback off that, Alan, I, I think the big thing that I'm disappointed in is the fact that, you know, it's not like they're in the negotiating room for 20 hours a day and they can't come up with an agreement. They're basically, you know, it's almost like they're playing long distance chess where you're waiting for the other, you know, the other party to make a move. And, you know, it, it's really disheartening to think that, you know, especially in where we are right now, you know, people are struggling. There's a lot of financial heartaches going on right now. Uh, a lot of things are increasing yeah. on cost of inflation. And so you would think that, and, and of course, major league baseball contracts are inflating too. You, you would think that that these guys would say, look, let's not be, uh, you know, the laughing stock or whatever. They, they, they find a way to sit down. Let's sit down for the next three days straight and hammer out a deal. We'll get some concessions on this side of things. You give some concessions on that. We'll find the things we agree on. We'll we'll spell it out in the final agreement. But here's what here's what I'm hearing right now. I was encouraged a week ago when things started to progress again. When they hadn't talked in quite a while, I'm not really encouraged yeah. at this point that there's going to really be a whole lot of anything at this point. And this is going to cost Major League Baseball a load of money, a lot. These guys yeah, sign these big contracts. Else. Yeah, these these guys that sign these big contracts, though. So they they're not going to be getting paid. I mean, they're not going to be getting the money that they signed for um, if there's no games being played. You know, but the owners aren't going to pay them. So, uh, it, to me, it's it's very disheartening that we're. It, this will be the third year in a row that there is some sort of, you know difference in major league baseball season as opposed to pre twenty twenty. and that that's the thing that it really gets under my skin. And I'll well, go back to 2020, we can't blame that. On really, that's uh, nobody's
1: fault.
0: Well yeah what I'm what I'm saying is though that we we've seen we haven't seen what we normally see. So twenty nineteen was the last year that things were quote unquote normal, as you say. Yeah. And so I, I think and, – and I'm somebody – being in Florida, and I guess maybe it's different for you being up in, in the New Jersey area. In Florida, you know, spring training is all around us. So I, I date back to, to two years ago when it just abruptly stopped, and it was like, okay, are we going to pick this back up in a week? And then suddenly you fast forward a whole year, and because they were allowing so few people into the games, the prices of tickets – I'm not kidding when I say this, man – you're talking like $80 a ticket to go to a spring training game, which in my opinion is not worth it. Um, to have this potentially have a, diff, a you know situation where there's something that's interrupting a, a year for a third year in a row, I mean, three strikes and you're out. So it, it's disappointing to, to think about that as something that may be happening yet again. And then this time it's because you have millionaires and billionaires bickering with each other about who's going to get what kind of money and, and little things that honestly shouldn't – I'm not saying it shouldn't matter, but they shouldn't matter to the degree that we're gonna we're gonna lose part of a year, and here's why I say that we we um and Alan and I talk about this off the air all the time we We live in a world where there's a lot of crazy stuff that goes on, and we we talk about sports and we watch sports because we want to take a little bit of a uh you know sabbatical from what the what the real world has to offer, so when yeah. we have people who aren't agreeing on things. Then we don't have anything baseball worthy to talk about, other than speculating who might get traded or who might win the division, or you know, so it's disheartening. Uh, I think that's really the underlying thing.
1: Yeah, well, I'll cover this tomorrow, uh, more on tomorrow's show, of course, I uh, enhanced sports show. Uh, Alan, thank you for showing up last week. It Was nice, man. We uh, we had some good numbers again. We had thirteen people again last week, so uh, not bad. So yep, we'll cover that. We'll, we'll cover, and we'll also. Uh, Review the uh, championship Sunday that we had. Um, we'll talk the Pro Bowl for just a little bit. I got to put that into yuck. Um, I'll even cover some uh, leftover USFL news. I mean, we'll go over the uh, whole coaching staff, uh, the whole coaching for the league because I didn't have time to do all of it last week. Um, we'll also cover the start of the Olympics, which was just which was started. Actually, it started Wednesday. Uh, and I'll even take a look at the uh, NHL All-Star Game, which will be going into the uh, third game by the time my show airs. Okay. <laughs> That'll be interesting. So, if you got time between 5 and 7 tomorrow, Eastern Time, call the following number, 512-543-4662. I'll it again, 512-543-4662. I'll tell you, February's going to be a busy month, so, hey, be prepared. I know I am. Yeah. Uh-huh.
2: That's awesome. That's that's great. Make sure you guys support Lou, 5 to 7 Eastern Standard Time Zone. That is tomorrow. He's going to be doing his thing on the Enhanced Sports Show. And it's always a pleasure to have Lou on our show.
1: All right, guys. Thanks a lot. You're welcome.
2: Really appreciate you, Lou. You're the best. Thank you for calling. Great buddy, Lou. Always great to hear from him. But yeah, to... Expand on that a bit more about the baseball lockout. I just, to piggyback on your point, I just, it's just disheartening. I thought a week ago that they was going to come up with a deal. I am not confident at all now. It, basically, you're going to leave it up to arbitrator to settle it. I don't feel confident in that, in that at all. And now we're into February. I think the deal still could be struck before the games are missed but I, I definitely do think it's going to run the risk of interfering with spring training. I don't see them come up with a deal right before playing the pitches and catchers supposed to report. Yeah, so it's, it's it's a tough situation in baseball. But, you know, I, I just baseball is the one sport that I just don't understand why they just keep shooting themselves in the foot. They just can't get in their own way. When they start doing something pretty good, they take three or four steps backwards. I just don't get it. And it seemed like that's the recurring theme with baseball. It's a tough sport. When I was growing up in Mm -hmm. the UK, baseball was the number one sport. It was actually ahead of NFL. It was America's pastime. It now is literally the pastime, meaning it fell back behind football. I'd even put it behind basketball and even hockey. I think baseball is really losing its fans and its base. I mean, you still have the diehards, but it's really lost popularity, and things like this do not help at all. What are your thoughts on that, Ari? Yeah, I think that they have uh,
0: certainly shot themselves in the foot. You don't do yourself any favors when – if there's a, a break in the off season where this stuff's going on like it did was not a problem for December to not happen and maybe even January to some degree. But now you are going into, like you said before, you're going into, we're, we're 10 days out from spring training, pitchers and catchers reporting, typically. It's around the 15th or 18th, somewhere in that range. Now we're, we're running into a point where we're probably going to have somewhat abbreviated season or they're going to have to push things back out a little bit further downside when that occurs is now you're pushing the following year out so now this this has an impact on 2023 it has an impact on free agency and trades and the winter meetings uh when next spring training starts so there's so many dominoes this is going to knock over it's really not
2: helping anybody i think we agree on that no i i definitely it doesn't help you know especially when you went through COVID where you everybody took a financial hit, the owners, the staff, vendors, players, fans, everybody took a hit. And now you had to deal with the repercussions of that financial hit. Now you're coming into a year where you're going to actually have a full season and now you're going to have a work stoppage. It just it boggles the mind. It just really does like, You know, and and what really surprises it doesn't surprise me but it does surprise me is how greedy people are. It's just like, okay, you're rich, the players and the owners, you have money, you're in a position of one percent of the population. Most people do not have bank accounts of excess of thirty plus million dollars to say. You do and it's still it's not good enough. That's just I, that's just that's a part that I just don't get like what is enough enough
0: no you're you 100% correct on that um, I, I, I just I feel like at this point unless there's something you know that we are just not aware of that's going to pop out of the news here in the next uh, week or so uh, the, the disheartening and discouraging thing to me right now as I mentioned it before is it's not like you know, there are representatives from every team and the union and the league in a, in a room right now, you know, with, you know, food and, and beverages so they can stay up all night and hammer out something. They're not even talking right now, and that, that is the thing that is really, really, um, really bothersome uh, to me. And I think that you, know, you, talk, you talked about before how baseball used to be, you know, more popular than the NFL was. What this is going to do? This is going to take the the casual fringe fan, of the, the people who are kind of like they really get into it, maybe about midway through the season when the pennant races start to heat up. This is going to take those people and completely toss them aside. And here, here's what the the league, so the union and the league alike, players union and everybody, what they forget, and I think this is going to come back to, to haunt them. What they seem to forget is. Without people like you and I and fans who go to these games and spend, you know, bukus of money on tickets and jerseys and all the other things that go on with it, they don't have any of this stuff. They don't have any of this to bicker about. So, you know, they better not forget the fans. That, that's the thing that really bothers me is if they forget the fans, then they're really going to, it's, it's really going to be a problem. And I think they yeah, have forgot the fans. Don't...
2: No, you're right. To your point, I think they've already forgotten the fans. I mean, because if you did have the fans in mind, you would have worked out a deal. And definitely putting the fans through, you know, shortened season. you know, I know it wasn't their fault about COVID, but this is your fault. Like, you can't come up with a deal. You had all this time. Now you're in the first week of February, and now you're not even talking. You're going, you're you're regressing now. You're doing even worse, and now you have to have an arbitrator. That doesn't that doesn't bode well. I just don't. I don't see that. I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. It just doesn't doesn't look yeah. good and copacetic. But I just, you know, I just I feel bad for the fans, and I feel bad for baseball as a sport. Somebody who grew up loving baseball, who actually wanted to be a major league baseball player, I just. It bothers me to see baseball kind of demise themselves like this. Like, come on, man. You're better than this. You're better than this. I mean, yeah, it's not, you're as not this. Exactly. I mean, the money that you're making, the millions of dollars, you're supposed to do the noble thing and help out your community, help out your family. You have more than enough money to do that. You're good. It's not always, life's not all about just the money. You got to look at it, you got to look at it different things. You know, it just, it just becomes that shallow, okay? If, I, if I'm not getting a million dollars, I'm not playing. I don't care if it's baseball. That's just the way it comes across. It's my way, the highway. I don't care if I got millions of dollars. I want billions more, whatever it is more, whether you're an owner, whether you're a player. It's too much greed. It's just way too much greed.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I, I think we're both uh, fair in that, you know, we want both sides to get a fair deal. Um, so I, I agree with that. But it, it shouldn't take two months plus to, to come up with whatever that fair deal is for each other. It really should have been a thing where they sat down and within five days, a week tops had this all done before Christmas. Could have very easily done that. And, you know, now we're coming into, you know, the point of the year where, you know, this is probably my favorite time of the baseball year when you start, seeing the new players show up you have all the new gear that comes out all the new hats and jerseys and all those sorts of things and you see you know the new players with the new teams they've signed with and you get the interviews and all of the stuff that goes along with it it's just a neat time of the year and then you add this in there and it's like you know, just it, it it really is like I I, I want to rip the union and I want to rip the league at the same time I think both of them are to blame for it um and here's the thing that will happen, too. Once this is all resolved, whether it's in the next couple of weeks or a month or whatever, they're going to pretend like nothing ever happened. They're going to expect the fans to show up and pay these ridiculous prices for tickets. And I think the league deserves to, to have a, uh, a year where they don't have a lot of good financial things happen for them. You know, No one wants to go and, and, and see you know, or you know, think about what it costs to go to a ballgame nowadays. People aren't going to go spend that kind of money. So the, the owners are going to have to bite the bullet at some point and put out these incentives to get people to come to games or they're not going to – they're not going to have all this money that they think they have, which I, I just think it – I think that they – they think that we, the fans, are pretty dumb and ultimately – maybe some of us are, I don't know. I can't speak for everybody, of course, but <laughs> I think that they think we're just going to – I think they think we're just going to roll over and be like, oh, okay, it's, it's over – some people are not going to forgive this because there are a lot of folks that i know and i was one of them 27 years ago when the baseball strike happened in 94 and there was no world series i actually stopped watching baseball and stopped paying attention to baseball for a good six or eight months which most people who know me wouldn't believe but that is actually what happened so i think that there's a big danger that if they go any further if we go another if we're talking about the same thing a week from right now we're we're looking at some really, really bad ramifications and, and the uh the, the, the you know, shock that's gonna have on the game. It's not gonna just happen for a month or for half a season. It's gonna have a, a ramification for a long, long time and I think that's gonna be really negative. And here's the thing. Baseball has really, really become really great in the last probably twenty years at really going into different different cultures. One thing I love about baseball, and I think we talked about this off air as well, it's become such a multicultural sport. You know, you've got a lot of players that come from all over the world. You know, obviously there's a lot of American baseball players and Canadian baseball players, um, but then you've got guys from Mexico, you got guys from the Dominican Republic, all over uh, the Caribbean, Puerto Rico, South America, you got guys that come over from, um, you know asia and play so when you take away the popularity when you're not playing games it's not just something that affects the united states it's the whole world and you know i don't know how many different countries but it's having a a global impact i i just again i I underscore what you said there before it's really really disheartening that we're sitting here talking about no baseball yeah i I
2: definitely hope that They come up with a deal and get something on the table real fast because time is running out, that's for sure. And uh, I did want to definitely get your thoughts, you know, switching gears here a bit, on Tom Brady's official announcement of retirement. What are your thoughts, Aaron, on Tom Brady officially calling it the end of his career?
0: Well, I think it's safe to say that we will probably never – in our lifetimes at least, ever see a player quite like him again, um, especially the quarterback position. There, there's going to be good players that play for multiple teams and win multiple Super Bowls in a wide receiver capacity or a running back capacity or a linebacker capacity. Um, Tom Brady does something in his 22-year career that has never even come close to being accomplished in the past, and that is he played in 10 Super Bowls, he won seven of them, Uh, Six with one team and then one with another. He's only the second quarterback to win Super Bowls with two different franchises, which is pretty remarkable. And we consider 55 years of uh, there being Super Bowls. Um, You know, love him or hate him, I think even the haters are going to miss this guy because they're not going to have anything to complain about for forever. You know, I mean, that's just kind of the way I look at it. But I, I had a good sense when. That game ended just just the way that it ended uh, two weeks ago against the Rams. It was kind of like Tom uh, Tom Brady leading that comeback. It ultimately came up just a little bit uh, short there at the end. It was almost like he was playing for the rest of his career. You kind of get that feeling. It almost had a similar feeling to when he played his last game two years ago with New England, almost identical, like to a T. The writing was kind of on the wall. You kind of see it coming, and then when the announcement came down, the first one that came down, obviously, and then the, the, the talk that it was, oh, well, he hasn't officially announced it yet, and then when it came out here a few days ago, it was kind of like kind of let the air out of the bad kind of thing. So um, we'll never see a player like him. Um, again, if you love him or hate him, it doesn't matter. I think that this is a guy that uh, made the most of a uh, – crazy situation and here's the thing that I always like to go back and think about you talk about what's the turning point in a game you know like the game against uh, the game last week between the Bengals and the and the Chiefs turning point was that last drive at the end of the first half Tom Brady his turning point in his career was an injury to a quarterback that had been drafted in the first round seven or eight years before him in Drew Bledsoe and if that doesn't happen I wonder if we even know who Tom Brady is today. So you got to always think about how a career got propelled. And if that concussion, and I think it was also a knee injury that Drew both had in the 2001 season. We may not even know who Tom Brady is. It's kind of interesting to think about it that way.
2: Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. I just think, uh, Tom, I'll give you my thoughts on his retirement, but first I'm going to give you my thoughts on Tom Brady as a player. Guy came in as a, you know, drafted, way down the list, wasn't athletic, couldn't run, did not even look like a a player, football player, number one, and number two, a quarterback. (laughs) (laughs) But this Tom Brady determination and his willingness to win was just unfathomable. I mean, he found ways to motivate himself, to, to keep himself hungry, to keep going after it. It just goes to show you that you can control a lot of your destiny. I know sometimes things in life do happen to you, but you can control a lot in a positive way. The way your attitude is, the way your desire is, your heart and he made the most out of his abilities. He learned a lot. He yeah. studied. He worked hard. And you're right. There won't be a player in our lifetime that will get seven Super Bowl rings. It's just, that is just in unfathomable in this type of free agency world, the way teams can break up very easily. It's hard for – another thing is this. Let's say you get two or three rings. The guys, the head gets big. He was able to to keep humble and hungry, and he did win one Super Bowl against Seattle. That some people say, okay, that was lucky. And like you said, he got an opportunity that some people say was luck too. I look at it like this: I look at it as he got a blessing. He worked really hard, and then he got an opportunity that went his way. And that's usually how it works in life. When you go down there grinding real hard, the guy that you're competing against will call out that day stick or something, and you'll get an opportunity to play, or he'll get hurt, or he'll get traded, or something will happen that will work in your favor. And that only usually happens if you put all the hard work in. And the same thing when he won against Seattle. You know, this guy's been grinding, grinding, grinding. And he got a break that went in his favor. That's usually what, how it works. You know, something that normally doesn't go for you did go for you. He had a remarkable career. And as far as him retiring, I was a bit sad about it because I thought – I honestly thought there was a chance that he was going to go at it one more year. The reason why is because he was under contract. So it's not like he tried to, he had to go to the bus and say, hey, pay me for another year or go to another team to get money. He actually had the contract for another year. I thought that would have maybe persuaded him a little bit, to give him one more try. He would have had Chris Godwin back from injury. He would have had Mike Evans. You know, so he still, well, I think Chris Godwin, actually, I take that back, Chris Godwin is going to be a free agent. But I still think he had enough of the nucleus of the team to still make a pretty good run, especially with the thing with Saints, you know, the Saints kind of, like, are in limbo a bit now. I think he yeah. probably would have had a good chance to maybe at least win the division. So I thought he might give it one more year. I really, especially when the the word came out and he denied it and his dad said, we don't know yet, there was hope. I had hope that he might say, let me give it more time to think about it. Okay, my next year is my final year. You understand? He would have basically said, Something different, like, okay, well, guys, I'm playing one more year. At the end of the year, win, lose, or draw, that is my final year. I thought he was going to do say something like that, but it wasn't meant to be. He retired. And with his retirement, I read his whole statement about, you know, five pages long. What I've seen through that statement was basically he read – it was time. And I think he – for the first time in his career realized that he wasn't hundred and ten percent all in. Basically the time has passed. Like, you know, he was really super motivated for many, many years, but the flame it was still there, but it wasn't as bright, if that makes sense. You know? And, yeah, and in and his mind, 44 his or heart,
0: 45, you don't want to go out there and, and, you know, make a make a fool of yourself either too. So I think he probably had that in the back of his mind as well.
2: Yeah, and I, and, and he, you know what? Kudos to him because I I do think if he did come back next year, he would have got a beautiful send off everywhere he went. But I do think a lot of that combined with another year of age, combined with maybe not the same type team with Chris Godwin going someplace, no A B, a little less weapons, he probably may have been able to win the division, but it was going to be a real struggle for him. I think that it, it would have been. It, it, I would have basically looked at it like he would have had a much tougher go to win another ring if he had he come back the next year than he did this year. And this year was really tough. I think it would have been three times tougher coming back one more year to play. And he just like, you know what? I don't want to go through that. My heart's not 100% into it. It's time for me to move, to step away. I think his, that's what I read in that statement basically was, I'm not fully committed to do this anymore. And it was time for him. So I have nothing but respect for Tom Brady. I really hope that he comes on our show on the Allen Aaron Sports and show. I really hope I get to meet him. And I really just want to shake his hand and say, you know what? I wasn't a Patriots fan, but I really appreciated the way you approach the game, the competitor you are, watching you play. It was like sometimes watching a machine. You know, every year – Everybody's trying to pick you out, but they still couldn't come up with that special recipe. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but kudos to, to Tom Brady. He had a fantastic year. Like you said, we're not gonna see somebody to win seven rings again in at least in the NFL. That's not something that just needs at as a quarterback to get seven rings. We just think Russell Wilson almost got two had he beat Tom Brady. I mean that's still quite a ways away from seven, you know, yeah, I mean,
0: you think about uh beyond you think about beyond uh Brady, the next guy down the list is you know there's two of them there's uh Joe montana who is probably one of my all time favorite quarterbacks and, and then also um Terry Bradshaw, most of those guys have four, so Tom Brady has almost as many as those two guys have combined Super Bowl wins, that's pretty uh, pretty remarkable. Yeah,
2: and then when you take all the records he has, you know, the, the rings are one thing. He put pretty much all those records out of reach. Passing, touchdowns, those things are just not going to be easy for someone to, to break. Passing yards for postseason, those are going to be very difficult for somebody to come close to. So he had a fantastic career. I guess for selfish reasons, I wanted to come to come back one last year, but it wasn't meant to be. And you know what? He did the right thing. Ultimately, it's his decision. He did the right thing. I could tell by reading his statement he wasn't all in. So it's just best you, you know, don't just sit there and decline for another year and make a fool of yourself. He did the right thing. I, I, definitely, uh, I definitely agree with you there. Um, yeah, Tom,
0: we definitely love to have you on. Um, always welcome on the show, and certainly um, if we do get a show with you, Tom, we would love to actually do it in person. I think that would be probably the the uh, more appropriate way for it to happen, and we can set that up any time if you're listening. So um, so obviously the Tom Brady news is, is pretty big, and in fact we probably could have led with that here tonight, just given that uh, it's such a big thing, 22 years in the league, all the Super Bowls, records, and those sorts of things. But, of course, the show must go on. So we are a week away or so from Super Bowl uh, 56. Um, How did we get here? Well, I tell you what, Cincinnati played terrific defense last week against Kansas City, especially in the final 31 minutes and five seconds of the game. They basically shut down the uh, Chiefs offense in the second half. And they had that literal goal line stance at the end of the first half, which ended up being the difference in the game and on the other side you had the rams who trailed for most of the game they came back at the end and were able to uh, find the holes in the 49ers uh, defense really and it was a little bit baffling i think the 49ers were really surprised that things changed so drastically almost the way the chiefs did so it's kind of interesting to see how that occurred Um, my question to you is this who do you pick in the super bowl
2: that's a great question. I think these are both very good teams. I think the Rams are doing great with the defense. I think the Bengals are, are doing a lot better. I'm going to go on a limb and say that the Bengals are going to get their first Super Bowl win. I think it's going to be a very close game. I'm hoping that the Bengals do win. I don't really want to see the Rams win. It's not the person get the Rams, but they beat my Bucks. So, I think I think it's just the Bengals' year. I just think their defense is going to put them in a great position, and I think they're going to get a shocker and, and beat the Rams in the Super Bowl. I see I see the, the Bengals winning this game, really, really, kind of like a shock, because they're playing. Remember now they're playing in SoFi Stadium, so they are playing in the Rams Stadium. And every single, <laughs> every single, I know it's not to your best thing, but every single celeb is going to be at this game mm-hmm. who's anybody to get yeah, their yeah. public appearance.
0: So well, I the got Super to Bowl make is this a what, Yeah, I was going to say the Super Bowl is a corporate event for the most part. It's, it's, you know, a lot of, you know, party animals. and I mean, it's back to the 80s and, and probably even further back it's, you know, you got to be somebody to get a ticket to get there, typically. So, But I'm going to agree. Um, I certainly think the Rams can win. I'm not saying they can't because they certainly have a great team, uh, for sure, with all that talent there. But I, I just feel like the, the Bengals, you know, they have been the underdog in every game that they have played this postseason. They were the underdog against the, the Raiders. Uh, they were certainly the underdog playing against Tennessee, in Tennessee, num- number one seed in the uh, AFC They took them out. And then, you know, honestly, the first half of – well, the first 29 minutes of the game against Kansas City this past weekend, you could have made a good argument that this game was over, you know, 22 minutes in. And the Bengals basically just – they said, look, we can stop these guys. It might not be easy. We've got a good quarterback on our side. And I want to give a lot of credit to Joe Burrow. Um, This is a guy that I really was somewhat suspect of uh, a few years back when he was coming out of college. He had a great final year at LSU in 2019, I believe it was. Heisman Trophy winner, wins the national championship with uh, LSU, Um, number one overall pick in the draft. All these dream come true scenarios for this guy who really, kind of came out of nowhere. He was a he was extra piece of an Ohio State team. They didn't need him at Ohio State, so he ended up going into the transfer portal and goes to LSU and presses LSU, obviously wins the starting job there. And so he's kind of come out of nowhere kind of similar to the other guy we were just talking about um, in Tom Brady. And I'm not saying that Joe Burrow is the next Tom Brady or will win seven Super Bowls for sure, but Certainly a guy that, you know, I I think the the calm approach that he takes is a very similar one to that of Tom Brady. And I I think we're looking at a superstar here in the making right now in Joe Burrow. I'm really, really happy to go to watch his career as it's starting to unfold here.
2: No, you've got some great points. He's got that cool, calm confidence. It's not cocky, you know, he's got that cool, reserved confidence about himself. He doesn't talk a bunch. You know, he just lets his action through the talking. You know, he does cool, but it's a cool confidence he has. And I think you're right. We've seen a star in the making. We needed, you know, at least somebody to make a run at Tom Brady, a young successor who's going to get some rings early in his career. In order for you to compete against Tom to get six, seven, you know, to get seven, you're going to have to get out the gates early like he did and get it. You know, when you you're a young quarterback, get a ring here and there. But I just think – I think you're right. The, the Rams, I'm sorry, the Bengals have been the underdog throughout this this process. They have a very good defense, very good running game. You know, they have a very good passing game. I just feel as if – especially coming back against the Chiefs to win that game, I mean, in in Kansas City, that that's huge. That's huge, and I just feel as if the, the, you're right to your point. The Rams could win this game, and if they did win the game, I wouldn't be shocked. I really wouldn't be because these teams are pretty well matched. But I just feel as if it's the Bengals' year. I just feel as if as if this is their time, and I feel as if you know the Bengals are going to be the team that surprises people and can be under, upset. I know the, the Rams are the favorite to win this game. But I got the I got the Bengals winning in a very tight contested game. It's gonna be a fun game. It's gonna be entertaining because you're gonna have, you know, basically a great halftime show. I expect. But to see all the sleds coming out in Cali, <laughs> it's gonna be <laughs> event. It's gonna be like times five because it's in California. So you'll you'll see what I'm saying. Like usually there's a lot of sleds, but this is gonna be on another level. Yeah,
0: no, I agree with you there. It's gonna be something we've really never seen before. Um, obviously, especially when you consider it a halftime show, it is in Hollywood, essentially, uh, in L.A. It's a brand-new stadium, for the most part. We just opened a year or two ago. So You're showcasing all those things, and, and of course, it's the Super Bowl. Really, the Super Bowl, the game itself kind of takes a backseat to a lot of that stuff, in a sense, with, with all the celebs that will be there, halftime show, um, and that sort of stuff. So this is probably, in, in my opinion, and I'm just thinking back to you know halftime shows in the past. This is probably, uh, and maybe there's one in there I'm not thinking about, but I the last one that it was as marketed or as built up as this one is. You, know, you go back to the to the uh, what year was this? 2004. That was the year of the the uh, wardrobe malfunction. Obviously, that was
1: <laughs> that was some,
0: <laughs> some, uh, somewhat of a crazy event. I remember. I remember seeing that and thinking, what in the world just happened? But um, uh, think about, uh, you know, when Prince was the halftime performer. I think it was – that was the year that uh, Peyton Manning won the um, Super Bowl with the, the yes. Colts. In the and rain. Prince, I tell you what, in the in, – in the, how perfect is that? Purple rain. I mean, um, that was probably my favorite. I know Tom Petty. I believe Tom Petty did one, I think, a year later. His is great, too. But the, the one in 2006, 2007 – uh, with uh, with Prince, I, I still think is one of the best halftime shows that um, that I've ever seen. I know the one last year was kind of strange with the the um, interesting costumes they had on, but <laughs> um, yeah. it's always entertaining because they they find a, they find a way every year to outdo themselves from the year before. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that is uh, here a week or so from now.
2: That's right, and rest in peace to the legend Prince to play Purple Rain in the rain with an electric guitar in the rain, which is very dangerous. You would think that, you know, <laughs> if there's, an, if there's a time for you to kind of niche that in the show because of the rain. But no, he played that electric guitar in the rain in Miami and did a fantastic job. That's legend status right there. And this this halftime show has had a lot of build up. I sort of... The you know the promo for it. You got some stars that are going to be doing it. You know you got some real vets. Eminem, Dr. Dre, Snoop, Mary J. So I'm excited about the have some Show. I'm excited about watching this game, and it's going to be a great game. I think the Bengals are going to shock the world.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I I, um, I second that uh, as far as. Um... Who I'm picking in—that's also who I'm rooting for too. So, um, a little bit of bias there, but that's who I'm hoping wins. So, I think we're in agreement on that part yeah. of things. Now, now, a lot of big stuff going on. Obviously, you know, the regular season ended uh, what three, four weeks ago, um, and so we've had coaching changes, coaching searches, coaching rumors. Um, always an interesting time of year. And if you don't have a head coach now, almost a month after the season is, it's kind of strange because normally. Normally by the time the Super Bowl gets here, or at least by the time uh, the week before the Super Bowl has arrived, normally every team has hired a new coach. I know that right now there are still openings in Miami. Um, obviously the Saints, that was kind of a different situation with uh, with Sean Payton uh, stepping down kind of late into the process, if you will. Uh, but you've still got an opening. I think there's still an opening in Houston, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, still open in Houston, still one in Miami. Let's see. New Orleans. Um Yep.
0: Yeah, they are. It's it's musical chairs at this point, unfortunately. Um you know, obviously there's more candidates than there are jobs, but I, I'm I'm hearing and again the Saints kinda got a late start because they didn't know when everybody else was making changes, uh that Sean Payton was gonna step down. But I hear um I heard this uh I believe it was yesterday, um NFLTraderumors.com, which is one of my best sources for football uh, news, it's kind of a clearinghouse for different uh, publications out there, different talk shows and things of that nature. Um, Eric Bieniemy, who is the uh, offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs, and obviously what a great job he's done the last uh, three, four, five years in Kansas City. Uh, he is uh, expected to interview for that position, so that's going to be uh, interesting to see. Hopefully it works out. I think, um, obviously, if, you can't, if you're uh, Kansas City, you hate to lose a guy like that because he's been such a big asset to you. But he certainly um, has proven to have uh, the great skills. And if you're the, the Saints, you know, you in the last two years, you've lost uh, Drew Brees and now you've lost Sean Payton. he's been there for, like, 15 years. Um, you know, obviously they're going to be going in a different direction and they have been going in the past. So to bring in somebody with an offense that can really light things up, I'm not sure who they're going to have at quarterback. Is Jameis going to come back? You know, those are the questions that we're going to uh, have answered in the offseason. But to bring in a guy who has such a great offensive uh, mindset uh, is certainly, I think, uh, a great option. So hopefully hopefully, that's something that pans out. And I'm not sure if there's any other candidates right now at this point in, uh, in New Orleans. So
2: No, you're right. I, I definitely hope that Eric Giannami gets an opportunity. I think he's more than well-deserving of one. You know, you, their resume speaks for itself. You're never going to know how someone's going to do a good job unless you give an opportunity. So I think he, he's well-deserving of it. I hope he does get it. You know, the coaching thing, I do want to give Brian Flores, I know we talked about this a little bit. I do want to give Brian Flores a lot of props for going to course with this, with the hiring process, whether you agree with him or not. And I I do think he doesn't have a chance really to win because, you know, you're a millionaire going against billionaires. It's, It's going to be tough to prove something like this in court just because you don't have a smoking gun. But I do appreciate what he's trying to do. I did hear what he had to say. He's basically trying to fight for, you know, equal rights. And that's kind of like what Martin Luther King did. Somebody has to step up in order for people to bring attention to something, for the process to be fair. He's not saying, hey, I'm Brian Flores, I'm black, you should hire me. He's saying, no, I don't feel as if the process for me to even be considered is fair. So he does have some good, very good evidence. you got to kind of check online for it. I give him credit for so least bring awareness to this, talking about it, giving it a try. And he's also, he understands that this is, could very well be the end of his career as far as a NFL coach. You know he, he's mm-hmm. you know he's aware of that. You know anytime you take your employer or your business to court, the chance of things going bad for your career going forward is very very high. That's just the nature of the beast. You taking your employer to court, those are, no matter whether you're white or black or whatever race you are, you take them to court. There's a good possibility, a high probability your career is pretty much done, and win or lose, that is. I would love to have Brian Flores as a guest on our show, on the l and Sports Radio Show. I have a lot of respect for him. He's from my neck of the woods, so I didn't realize that he's from Brooklyn, New York, like I am, until I watched his interview. And I give him props from another, you know, black male, sticking his neck out for the reasons why he's doing it, I give him props, and he's already done a great job, in my opinion, because he brought awareness to this. I did not – I knew, like, we all pretty much know that there is a disparity in black hires, but I did not know it was to this deep of a level. So I give him props on that. I might be in a minority on that, but I give Brian Flores a lot of props.
1: No, you're
0: absolutely right. He's he brought an awareness to something that uh, may certainly have been overlooked for – a great deal of time. So I, I agree with you there. Now, obviously, we talked about some coaching openings that are still there, and he made a good point. Uh, he, he probably, now that this has happened, uh, is not going to be considered for any of those uh, two or three that are left. Um, uh, trying to think of the team of Jacksonville here. Uh, they, I uh, believe it was yesterday, hired uh, Doug Peterson, who had won uh, Super Bowl, of course, uh, just four years ago with uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, which is a good hire. I mean, a, a guy who has a Super Bowl on his resume is certainly good. Um, speculation going into probably the last three, four weeks was that uh, Buccaneers offensive coordinator, guy I really like, too, and Byron Lethwich, may be the perfect fit there just because of his previous experience in Jacksonville. And I was talking to you about this just very briefly before the show, uh, through text messages. I'm starting to wonder if Byron Lefwich, because he, he apparently withdrew his name from the candidacy there uh, prior to uh, Peterson being hired. I'm starting to wonder if with Tom Brady retiring and Bruce Arians, you know, he's not getting any younger himself, if it's very possible that Byron Lefwich is the uh, heir apparent there to the head coaching job in Tampa. What what are your thoughts on that?
2: I think that would be a great, great move, and I think it would be a great opportunity for Byron I think it'd actually be a better opportunity than him being in Jacksonville. I with Tampa, he loves being in Tampa. And I think it's just, I feel as the ownership in Tampa is better, and you know, quite frankly, than it is in Jacksonville. I mean, just, just you look about a week ago, they were making the announcement he was going to get the job, and then all of a sudden, it's like they backtracked. And it's, I mean, are you going to give the guy a job or are you not? Like, I think that just was just, bad luck on the Jacksonville, especially being that you had such a, a public debacle with your prior hire. You would think that you would try to fly underneath the radar and just hire someone who you feel is, is credible, and it would go without a hitch. But since it's Jacksonville, it became a charade. Well, we're going to announce we're going to hire Byron. Then a couple of days later, well, we're not sure. And then now, I'm not saying Doug Peterson is not qualified but man what a what a what a disaster there I mean just the whole process basically but I think Byron staying in Tampa I think that's a sometimes a lot of the deals that you don't make like like you told me it's before be the best deal yeah end up being the best deals or less the ones that you don't make and I think this is going to be the situation with, with Byron Leftwich, because Yes, it's great that you do get an opportunity as a a black male coach in the NFL, but you also want to put yourself in a position where you're going to be successful in that bid. You understand what I'm saying? Like you don't want to just get a job. You want to get a job that you feel confident that you're going to be successful and that you're going to have growth in, not where you're going to be set up for failure. And I think him being in Tampa is actually a better fit than it would be in Jacksonville.
0: Well, I think you can make the argument too. I mean, Jacksonville's going up; they're, they're not going to get any worse. I think that they only can go one direction at this point. But I think you can make the argument too that Miami—they have all the pieces there. They kind of—they kind of remind me a little bit of what the Bucks were about two years ago, before Tom Brady got there. The right few pieces here, there, and the right coaching fit, and this thing suddenly could take off. Now, the ownership obviously is in—in in some hot water. Obviously, that'll be a whole other. We could have a whole show on that at this point, but um, you know, you, you've got a, you've got a quarterback, at least one that I think is, is going to do uh, great things if you get all the weapons around him, and they they have all the pieces. My, Miami, Miami is, I think, a really really solid position right now, and I don't know if Leftwich is a consideration there. I'm not sure what their coaching aspirations are at this point. It's kind of funny to think that we're in February, a uh, week before the Super Bowl, and a franchise like the Miami Dolphins does not have a head coach at this point. That that just it's kinda of baffling to me. Um I'm sure we'll probably know something in the next week or two, but um I think Leftwich would be a great fit there. And you talk about it too. You don't you don't want to just take a, a job to take a job. You know, if you're Byron Leftwich, you know, you don't want to go to a, a a team that's you know, it'd be like going to a team that hadn't been to the playoffs in thirty years, like the Browns. You know, look at all the people who've come through and they tried every which way to make things work, you don't want to set your flight agrees to hundred percent there, um, having a great opportunity. And if in the next year or two, and there I think there's a very likely chance that if I'm Bruce Arians and I'm uh three years into this four or five year contract that he signed, and you start to think, I don't have Tom Brady anymore <laughs> You know, little pieces are starting to, to either retire or leave via free agency. I won a Super Bowl. I had a great career. I coached all these great quarterbacks from different teams. Maybe it's time for me to go ahead and, you know, ride off into the sunset. Hand it off to, to, to uh, Byron Leftwich. Byron Leftwich is young. He's only 41 years old. Pe- people uh, probably don't think about that, but you know, he obviously came into the league almost 20 years ago. But he's only 41 years old. So this this could be a guy that's in whether it's Tampa or anywhere else. He ends up becoming a head coach. He could be there for a long, long time, um, and that, that would be something I think would be really neat to see because you think about coaches, and this is talked about in pretty much any coaching aspect in whether it's football or baseball or whatever, you're getting hired just to get fired at some point down the line, right? Not many guys get to go out on their own on their own choice. Not, not many guys get to have a long, great career and then say, hey, you know, had a great career. I'm going to retire now. Usually at some point along the way, they get fired. So, you know, it'd be nice to see another another coach that is a long-term guy. Just to throw out some props here, because I've always had respect, even though I'm not a big fan of their team, I look at what the Pittsburgh Steelers have done. Pittsburgh Steelers are probably one of the best-run sports franchises in America in the four big sports, because they have only had three head coaches since 1969. That's uh, 52 years, they've only had three head coaches, and that's because, A, they're patient. They don't just fire guys to fire guys, but they also, they go for guys that have good character. And the last three guys have all each won at least one Super Bowl uh, there in Pittsburgh. And that, that's something that I think a lot of teams uh, probably envy to some degree. So.
2: No, you're absolutely right. Great point and great analogy. You know, with Mike Tomlin and... It's not like it came easy to him, too. He had to deal with A.B. for some time, some drama, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, he handled that situation. And exactly right. You don't want to just hire someone just to hire someone. You want somebody, who, like you said to your point, who's young, who's hungry, who is not only just going to get an opportunity, but as long as you keep them happy, they're going to want to stick around for many, many years. I can see a guy like Byron Leffert being that guy who gets a great opportunity, continues to work hard, and is a staple in the league. So, yes, I do want to see more black hires as far as NFL coaches, but also smart hires where you don't want to be a a black head coach and get an opportunity where you have an opportunity to fail you because guess what? You're going to hurt somebody else who's maybe African-American who wants to coach because you might have, have done so poorly. So definitely you want to be in a good position and don't just get a job just to get a job, do one that you think you're going to be successful. I think Byron Westridge would do a great job actually in Miami too. I think, I think you're right. They just need a couple of pieces. If he doesn't work out at the yeah. Bay, I think him going to Miami would be a great fit too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's a good point there too. I mean, if I'm a job candidate, I'm not just taking a job for the sake of taking a job. Um, at, at, at a coaching position anyways. Now, in, in the real world where, you know, we're not talking about sports, that's a different story. But if, if we're taking a job, just take a job, that's not necessarily the best fit. It's sometimes you can set yourself up for failure. So to go back to what I mentioned about the Steelers, when Chuck Knoll, the late Chuck Knoll, who won four Super Bowls in the 70s with Pittsburgh, when he retired in, I believe it was 1990 or 91, he handed that job off to Bill Cower who was there for 15 years, went to two Super Bowls, and won the last one that he coached uh, in, uh, I think it was 2005. And then when he finally retired, he handed a great job to Mike Tomlin, as you mentioned before. So that great job doesn't always come along. There might only be one of them a year if there's even that. Um, And so, as you said before, sometimes it's that job you don't take that ends up being the best one that you made the decision on as far as the the decision-making process, because, again, you don't want to set yourself up for failure. So I would say in a perfect world, and we obviously know that's not always the case, in a perfect world we would see uh, Byron Leftwich stick it out as the offensive coordinator and help continue to develop the young quarterbacks that Tampa has. And in a year or two when Bruce Arian says farewell, you have your coach.
2: Yeah, exactly. In a perfect world, that would be the great, great thing. But like you said, we don't live in a perfect world. But I just think um, the jobs that you know, the deals you don't get sometimes end up being the best deals for you. So I think it's a lot of disarray in Jacksonville. I think I think I think Byron would have done maybe disservice getting that job. I think you want to go to a place where it's going to be a better fit for you. And I just think it would have been a splash higher, but I don't think it would have been good for the long term.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's – I again, I can't see Jacksonville getting any worse. I think they only have um, a positive direction to go in. They have a high draft pick again um, in, in this year's draft. Coming at, they the number one overall pick again, so they're <laughs> certainly going to be able yeah. to flourish, I think, as far as – as far as we getting good picks, they're going to flourish in that, in that way. Um, but you never know. I mean, ownership can, can sometimes get in the way. Um, I, I don't know a whole lot about Mr. Kahn, their owner there. I think that they they had the the googly eyes, I think, when it came to hiring Urban Meyer a year ago. At the time, I thought it was a good hire because, obviously, his body of work at the college level had been probably one of the best of all time outside of, of uh, Nick Saban. Um, but his – his shortcomings, that kind of stuff you can sweep under the rug. We talked about this in one of our shows sometime last year. Your shortcomings at the college level, you can sweep those under the rug, and for the most part they go away and nobody talks about them. That stuff comes out years later when you become an NFL coach. Those same bad habits you might have had or your thought process of how you're going to you know, run certain plays, and you talked about how you could basically see what plays you're going to play or run before they even called them. Um, predictability uh, just didn't work out um, and then obviously the off-field stuff certainly made things even worse so um, who knows how how things could play out um, I'm a personal fan of ownership giving every uh, resource they possibly can to a team or to a, to a general manager and to a coach to be able to let them flourish and just basically staying out of the way and um, I'm talking to Cowboys fans on that one too because the reason you guys haven't won a Super Bowl in 25 years is because Jerry Jones is there, and he he pretty much gets in the way every time. So, um, but uh, no, Le- Leftwich is going to be a, gr- a great. I'm telling you guys right now, we'll, we'll talk about this in about 15 years. At some point, Byron Leftwich will be an NFL head coach, and he's going to be a darn good one. And uh, I don't know if he won a Super Bowl because obviously no one knows how that's stuff to play out. But he'll definitely be. um will be a great coach, whether it's in Tampa or somewhere else. So.
2: I definitely agree
0: with you. That's well said. I definitely 100% agree with you. Well, now we've uh, kind of talked uh, NFL football to uh, to end there. Um, obviously, this past week, it was uh, College Football uh, National signing Day, which was on Wednesday. And really, as predicted, and this stuff's kind of known fairly well in advance, um, you have... Uh, Texas A&M coming out with the number one class by far in the country. And then you have Georgia and Alabama, so it's really kind of the same usual suspects, uh, that came out with their, um findings here. Um, what I always find so interesting, and, and especially now at the college level, with the signing, uh, the transfer portal rather, now you have the, uh, NIL, which is the name, image, and likeness, uh, agreements. There's money to be thrown around. It's changed things. It's almost like free agency in uh, in college football is existing at this point. And sometimes there's some surprises that come out of these things. Um, having a great class doesn't necessarily translate to, to overall success because we've seen some other schools that uh, did have uh, pretty good classes and they didn't end up winning. But for the most part, these three teams that ended up at the top are – teams that should be right in the thick of things to compete for a national title. Georgia and Alabama, of course, are just there. So what are your thoughts on how college football has transformed in the last five years?
2: Yeah, it definitely has changed a lot. I mean, how, especially like big days like signing day, you know, like Jacob Copeland's mom, that was a shocker. I don't know if you saw that, Aaron, where... His mother wanted him, his son, Jacob Copeland, to go to Alabama. She even had an Alabama yep. shirt on, and he ended up going with the gators.
1: Yeah, and I was happy about that, thing. for
2: sure. She <laughs> walked out, and she let it well known. I mean, he likes well to, yeah. <laughs> to cry. <laughs> he likes to cry, and, I mean, that's just a tough position for a young kid to be in want to make his own decision, but at the same token, you want your mom to be happy, and she definitely wasn't happy and walked out in the middle of his pressure. Yeah. <laughs> and that was, you know, kudos to him for making his own mind. I think his mom could have been a bit more open-minded. At the end of the day, yeah, he may not go to the school you want, but he didn't choose a, a bad program. He still went to a top school where he get a lot of you're get a lot of publicity still. If you excel, you're going to get noticed in the NFL, whether you're in the, I mean, yes, probably Alabama, maybe it's a pick more because of, you know, saving. But you're still going to a team that you're going to get a lot of media attention. You're going to be known. And I think he's maybe now because of what his mom did. He's even more known. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that, on his mom walking out in that whole situation?
0: I remember seeing the, the video on that. That was probably, I think, 2018, I want to say. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I was in the last three or four years. Uh, Dan Mullen was still head coach there at Florida when that happened. And I just laughed. I thought it was funny. I mean, I, I would have probably felt differently had he had Florida been the team he had picked or had, uh, had uh, been wanting to go to and then he picked Alabama or had picked Tennessee or had picked Auburn or anybody else. Uh, being a Florida fan, it was certainly a nice um, – you know a nice uh fit for what we needed at that time so but no i i think that the um the interesting thing i think about college football and national sign day is huge it, it obviously is big and you know if your team didn't come out in the top 10 most people are going to say well you're you're not going to be a, com- a competitor this next season not always true necessarily cuz you sometimes at least once a year you have a Cinderella story who Kind of sneaks in and plays uh, at a higher level than everybody anticipated, but it's really all about stocking up the cabinet, if you will, with more talent so that you have more pieces. Because the game has shifted so much in the last five years with transfer portal, with uh, now this NIL uh, name, image, and Lightness, and then signing days. So you want to you want to basically try to get as many top-talented players at every position that you possibly can because when somebody leaves, gets injured, goes to the NFL, transfers, whatever the case might be, you need to have the next guy you can step up. So that's, that's why there's such an importance around this. And I'm a huge fan of college football recruiting. I think it's one of the neatest things that goes on. You know, think about a head coach, um, you know, whether they're a younger coach or an older coach. You know they're going to visit guys playing high school football who are 17, 18 years old, maybe 19 or 20, depending on you know when they started in high school. And it's just neat to see these guys that are developing um, at such a young age, and then it's cool to see these guys that become the next stars of the NFL. So um, it was a really important day if you're a Texas A&M fan out there, if you're an Alabama fan out there, if you're a Georgia fan out there. You just basically added more stock to your pile, um, you, you've made the bank account a little bit more uh, wealthy at this point in and, and those three particular, uh, particular places, and it's certainly going to make things uh, better for those programs going forward, and I wouldn't be shocked to see them do it again. Uh, as long as they continue to maintain the, the coaching staff they have, it's going to be pretty easy for them to do that, too.
2: No, you're absolutely right. It's, they're going to be – the of staff makes a big, big difference. And I wanted to ask you a question, Aaron. I know you're big into recruiting the young kids out of high school and going to college, and that's a, something that's really, really important to you. What is it about getting a young kid so young and signing them up to go to college that really motivates you, that recruitment?
0: I think it's the the – prospect of what this player or person can turn into um, off the field, obviously, too, but obviously if we're talking specifically about their playing ability, you know, you think about great players in college football history and obviously they go on to the next level and play there too. Um, it's that it's almost like that you're going out there and you're prospecting for gold, <laughs> you know, you go out there and you, <laughs> you take the, you take the, the bucket and you get onto the water side and you, you scoop down and you pick up the, the the sand or the dirt and you're sifting through to see if you found whether it's gold or diamonds or rubies or whatever, it's kind of that same thing. Are you finding diamonds in the rough? Are you finding the next Joe Montana? Are you finding the next Tom Brady? Are you finding the next Emmett Smith? Um, it's just a neat process to go through. I'm a huge, huge fan of, I mean, you think about somebody like Tom Brady as we talked about before, what was Tom Brady like 25 years ago when he was at the very beginning of his college career, or maybe what was he like 27 years ago when he was still in high school? Um, So it's just that kind of that thought of like you're seeing a guy at 18, 19 years old, and he might potentially develop into the next great player that everybody's talking about in 20 years. Now I'll I'll personally say this, as a Florida Gator fan, I live in Lakeland, Florida, so if anybody is uh, listening to this program outside of the central Florida area, if you go back about 15 years ago, Florida, Urban Meyer, funny enough, was the head coach at Florida, he heavily recruited out of Lakeland High School. And Lakeland High School has been a national champion winner at the, I think it's 5A level. Three of their best players in 2005 were Marquise Pouncey, Michael Pouncey, both played in the NFL for 10, 12, 13 years, whatever. Um, and then also a running back by the name of Chris Rainey, and I actually watched those guys play high school football. So it's a neat thing to think about seeing a guy who played at at the lowest level of the three big levels of football, then seeing them go play at a successful level at the college level, and then not so much range, undersized, um, maybe he wasn't used quite the way he should have been at the NFL level, and not everybody, obviously, is going to make it once they get to that point. Um, but Marquise Pouncey and Michael Pouncey both had really good NFL careers. So you need to think about guys that had great careers. And, you know, you got to see them play locally when they were in high school. So that, that's kind of what intrigues me about the, the recruiting process is, is kind of that start to finish and then everything in between. Yeah,
2: getting them with that You're real young. And like you said, yeah. you can find that diamond in a rough. That's
0: right. Not a guarantee. Actually, right Not away. a
2: guarantee you're going to find one, but but it certainly is. Uh, it certainly is a neat
0: thing to to, to go through and um into and prospect for it, so to speak. So, um, great show here tonight. Uh, obviously, uh, we're a week out from the Super Bowl. Um, both of us are on the uh, Bengal bandwagon, as they call it now. I think uh, both of us <laughs> would love to see Cincinnati pull out a. Uh, a uh, underdog surprise win next week. The last thing I want to bring up here as we uh, close out the show here tonight, I haven't had a chance to really sit down and, and, and look too much at it, but the Winter Olympics just started this uh, this past week over in, uh, over in China. Um, certainly want to uh, say go USA, obviously uh, a lot of great uh, Winter Olympic athletes. Uh, what are your uh, thoughts on the Winter Olympics going on now?
2: Yeah, it's an exciting time that the Olympics here, Winter Olympics in you know, China, and it's, it's something that people who are really avid Americans really step up and support their team. I love watching the hockey team. I love watching the USA do their thing, whether they get the gold or not. It's exciting to see the Olympics, and it reminds me of when I was a kid, how people took the Olympics so seriously. You had people that were supporting, and I hope America doesn't lose that fiber about it.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, you think back to the, and I wasn't around just yet for this. I think you might have been yourself pretty young too. But the the nineteen eighty Winter Olympics when um, the hockey team ended up beating the Russians in. Uh, the semifinal round, and with where the world was at that time with the Cold War and uh, communism, and it was almost like that was the battle back then. And and for for the USA, which talk about the Bengals being an underdog here in the Super Bowl coming up, USA was a huge underdog in the Winter Olympics in hockey in 1980. And, of course, uh, if anybody out there hasn't seen the movie Miracle, it's definitely a great one. Uh, That great call by Al Michaels, Um, You believe in miracles, you know. Such a great, great thing. It's probably one of the greatest moments in American sports history. Quite honestly, whether you like hockey or not, uh, whether you follow hockey or not, just looking at the time frame and as those things I mentioned before, how that impacted the United States. It was just such a, a a magnificent moment, magical moment, and one we may never see again quite the same. But you know, go USA. I certainly want to see uh, great things happen in in, uh, in every area. Uh, the Winter Olympics are a lot of fun, too, because there's so many things that happen, um, sports that you don't really pay attention to outside of the Olympics uh, that go on. So it's a lot of fun to, to tune in and, and see what's happening, and, and hopefully we can add to the medal board here uh, as we go forward in the next uh, two weeks or so.
2: Absolutely. It should be exciting, Olympics. Go USA is absolutely 110% right. Let's see something big happen like we did in the 1980s. Go USA.
0: Absolutely. So definitely a great here tonight. I want to thank uh, our good buddy uh, Lou uh, for, uh, for uh, chiming in right away here this evening. It was certainly uh, great to have him on. And I apologize for some of the technical and audio difficulties that I had here this evening. Thankfully, I was able to uh, MacGyver up. Some uh, some uh, things here on my end, so at least really sounded decent. Um, we'll try to get that corrected for next week, so we have a little bit better audio sound. But I want to thank our listeners here tonight uh, for tuning in and uh, for uh, Alan being on and for uh, us being able to have this great show once again. Thank you so much for tuning in, and uh, everybody have a great weekend. Stay safe, everybody.